Good morning. This is Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Cave Movahead. We are about five days away from Election Day, but many of you have already voted, either in person or through the mail. The Secretary of State and county clerks have been touting the security of your vote, but there are still people who have doubts about election integrity in the U.S., especially when it comes to voting by mail. And most voters do show up to the polls on Election Day. Today, we'll talk about election security, voter education, and how we can rebuild trust in the integrity of our elections. And we'll discuss New Mexico's voting trends. We have guests today from the Secretary of State's Office, Common Cause New Mexico, the League of Women Voters, New Mexico First, and the University of New Mexico. We want to hear from you, too. Do you think voting should be easier or have we loosened the rules too much already? Are you concerned about getting away from work to cast a ballot on Election Day? Do you trust voting by mail? Why or why not? What do you think about all the observers at the polling places? Do they make you feel safer? Share your ideas about fairness, integrity, and your vote by emailing Let's Talk at KUNM.org or call in live at 505-277-5866. Let's start the show with our first guest this morning on the phone from Santa Fe. We welcome Judy Williams, the Voter Services Chair for the League of Women Voters of New Mexico. Good morning, Judy. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. First, thank you for inviting us. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Thank you. First, many of us know the League of Women Voters because of the voter guides we see before elections. But before we get to those, tell us about the organization. The League of Women Voters was formed over 100 years ago after women won the right to vote. It was formed to educate women on voting processes and election issues. Um, Even though it says League of Women Voters, it's really an inclusive organization. It's not for women only. We're a nonprofit grassroots organization driven by volunteers. We have a national organization as well as leagues in all states and 700 localities. As I said, our mission is voter education and empowerment as well as advocacy. We're nonpartisan. We don't support or oppose any political party or candidate. You may, some of the older listeners may remember that the League of Women Voters ran the presidential debates in the 1980s until candidates demanded partisan conditions. Our local leagues still run candidate forums. We do study issues and take position on issues of importance to government and league members. As Cave said, our primary means of educating voters is through our voter guides and voter outreach. We have an online voter guide this year, Vote 411, and our in our vote our four local leagues produce printed guides. Vote 411 reaches all throughout the state. We cover every race, all down through local uh, probate judges and all local races. So. We ask questions of candidates and ask them to answer them so that their voters can get to know them. So if you go to vote for a one one and put in your address, you can see everything on your ballot. Okay, thank you, Judy. We, we do have links to that, by the way. Yeah, I just want to mention for for listeners, if you missed that, we have links for that uh, on our website at kunm.org. Uh, go ahead. Was there was there something more? Uh, yeah, we did a couple of things this year. Um, we put together county-specific guides for the 12 counties with substantial Native American populations, recognizing that a lot of rural areas in New Mexico lack Internet access. We obtained grants to print them, and this year we printed and distributed 15,000 guides for 12 counties. Okay, hold we on. I want, I want to ask about that. Let's, let's talk about that just a little bit. Um, 
you printed 15,000 guides specific for Native American communities. How did you get them out there to them? Well, they were for the county election counties in uh, with substantial population. I see. So they um, were. <laughs> I, I, I dragooned our volunteers <laughs> to drive them all over the state. And in some places, we delivered them to the county clerk's offices where they have actually tribal liaisons. For example, Santa Fe County has a tribal liaison, so they asked us to just deliver them to the county clerk's office. Um, we actually delivered them to some uh, tribal lands at their request, uh, the one in Socorro, which is Alamo, and in Otero, which is Mescalero. Okay, so you talked um, a little bit... hoping that they would... I'm sorry for cutting you off. You talked a little bit about how the guide is put together. I'm wondering who gets to participate? How's that info vetted? Uh, Well, we're mostly almost all volunteers. So we get the obviously the candidates and races from the Secretary of State's website. And um, and uh, we have to sometimes check email addresses and phone numbers so we can we can make sure we can contact uh, candidates and then the, the, the league develops a set of questions to ask them in some cases they're fairly general what is your what is your history what are your qualifications what are your priorities and so on so they're fairly generic questions in many cases but um, it's really an effort to have uh, voters get to know their candidates it's been a challenge to get candidates to answer the questions um, particularly in areas where we're not known and sometimes in areas where there, if a, if an incumbent is or a candidate is, is un, unopposed, they might be less likely to want to answer questions. It's, a lot of people have a lot of things to do around election season, so uh, we're still working on that. We also reached out to over 200 radio stations with PSAs, so we're hoping to promote that. Now, I talked to one of your colleagues in preparation for this show, and I was told that often if candidates don't fill out or participate with the voter guides, uh, the electorate, the voters will often call them and say, uh, where are you? Why aren't you on this list? And they kind of tend to then uh, act and fill out the voter guides. Have you seen that happen regularly? Uh it should happen more, but yes, it does happen. Um, once people become familiar with, with Vote 411 and they don't see their candidates answering questions, they will reach out to them, to their campaigns. Okay. And, um, so well, we, we, send, we send reminders, several reminders to cajole them into answering questions. Now, the voter guide isn't all that you do at the League of Women Voters. Can you tell us just a little bit about some of the outreach and advocacy efforts? Uh, we do we do candidate forums, as I said, and um, we hold issue forums locally, um, trying to educate people on on issues of government uh, initiatives that are important. Uh, not necessarily things that we have positions on, but things we think the community needs to know. And um, we hope so. We hold meetings about that. Um, for example, in Santa Fe, uh, several years ago, there were issues about whether we would have a public utility or a public bank. So the league organized forums on that. We've done healthcare forums, things that we think the voters should know about their local governments. 
Okay, thank you. And we do have links up, as I said, to the League of Women Voters of New Mexico at KUNM.org. You can also go to vote411.org. Is that right, Judy? That's correct. For the personalized voter guide that will kind of be dialed into your particular ballot. All right, let's take the opportunity now to transition the conversation by bringing in another guest. We have Alex Curtis from the New Mexico Secretary of State's office to tell us about how the election's going so far. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Let's start with some numbers. How many New Mexicans have voted so far? Sure. Uh, Well, we're seeing a really... um Good turnout so far. So I've just actually got uh, updated numbers as of this morning. So the, these are, um, you know, as of uh, the end of uh, yesterday, it looks like um, over 320,000 um, people have voted uh, in New Mexico uh, in total so far. Uh, so we're, we're seeing a really good uh, pace of turnout. Uh, you know, there's Obviously, you know, the, the pundits and all of us can uh, theorize and question what the final uh, turnout's going to be and whether that'll exceed, um, you know, uh, uh, previous years, particularly like 2018, which is the last midterm election. Um, and and it's, it's on track to probably get uh, to the, the same amount of turnout, if not uh, even more. Uh, so I think it was about 56 percent of, of every, you know, uh, registered voter turned out in 2018. Uh, so we're certainly hoping to hit that number, if not push it higher, maybe even closer to 60 percent. You know, there's a lot of enthusiasm and, uh, you know, and just and uh, awareness about this election. So that's the kind of uh, those are the kind of factors that really can drive uh, turnout in elections. So we're hoping to see that um uh, come November 8th next uh, next week. Okay. Well, I'm wondering about those 300,000 plus voters we've seen already. Is that mostly early voting? Is that absentee? What makes up that number? Yeah. So this is going to be, uh, so what, yeah, when I quote that number, that's basically the, um, the total number of people who have um, voted either in person uh, during the early voting period, uh, which is which is going on right now and which ends uh, this coming Saturday uh, in, and uh, includes uh, anyone who has uh, submitted uh, an absentee ballot back uh, to their county clerk at this point. OK, so for listeners who want to vote, but they haven't registered or they have an outdated registration, how do they participate at this point? Sure. So uh, that's a great question. Um, we, you know, as, as people might know, and, and as, as they might have seen in the news and maybe through, you know, League of Women Voters or Secretary of State or the county clerk, uh, you know, voter registration uh, closed a few weeks ago. Uh, but that was just for uh, paper registrations or online registrations. Um, but if you are uh, someone who ha- is not registered but still wants to participate in the election, we have what we uh, what we now call same-day voter registration here in New Mexico, which is a great kind of pro-voter policy for, uh, for getting more participation. And basically what that means is that if you are not registered to vote, um, you can show up at any uh, polling location in your county, uh, and they will have same-day voter registration available for you there. So you can um, you can uh, come there. You have to uh, have appropriate uh, identification requirements. Uh, 
in order to do this. Um, and then as long as you, you do that, take those in and you will be able to uh, register right there and then vote uh, during that same transaction. So it's a really uh, efficient way to get you know, m- more voter participation because a lot of people, of course, you know, miss these deadlines. We have busy lives. Uh, most people aren't paying attention to elections uh, 24-7 like, like I am and the other people on this call. Um, and so, so if, if you've missed those deadlines, you can still participate. Right. I'm thinking about those people who are in stressful situations. Maybe they were displaced by fly- fires or flooding, or maybe they've even just moved. Uh, this goes for them too then, right? People who just haven't been able to prioritize the election. Certainly. Uh, yes, it's, uh, especially it's great that you bring that up about uh, people who uh, may have been displaced uh, because of the fires um, or, or just other things that have been going on in the, over the past month. Uh, it, it, you know, having same day uh, registration available, uh, you know, in every county throughout the state is, uh, you know, it allows uh, people who, who are either in those situations or who just uh, just forgot to, <laughs> to register, uh, you know, it still allows them uh, to participate in, in the election. Now, what about people who are unhoused? I imagine many of them have bigger priorities than voting. However, I'm sure some of them still really do want to p- participate. Are they able to register? They are. Uh, uh, people who are unhoused um, uh, can certainly uh, register and participate. They are uh, members of our community and uh, and are certainly uh, eligible voters as long as they, you know, also um, meet the, uh, the, the, the other requirements, basically just being uh, either 18 years old and you have to be a, a United States citizen and not otherwise restricted from voting. Basically, that means as long as you're not, um, you know, incarcerated or, or still have um, conditions of a, of a, a parole to, uh, to meet. So as long as you are, you know, are not restricted, uh, you can be unhoused and, uh, and registered to vote. And so that is a, a uh, another um, segment of the population that I think that um, same-day voter registration can be very helpful for, uh, basically, is that if you um, if you if you lack a specific physical address, you can uh, basically uh, describe where you are living, and that uh, that meets the requirements for. Uh, for the for being able to register. Okay, thank you. We're going to have to pause the conversation for just a moment. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Kaveh Movahead. We're taking your calls about voting in the midterm election. Call us at 505-277-5866. We'll be right back. UNM Health is a proud sponsor of KUNM, offering children and adults personalized cancer care at the Comprehensive Cancer Center. More information at unmhealth.org. Connect to your local community by becoming a KUNM business underwriter. Program support through underwriting highlights your business while supporting news and locally curated music. To become a business underwriter, contact Kelly at 505-277-3969. The Dies Irae is from the old Latin mass for the dead. Composer Kenji Bunch once misspelled it by a letter. He wrote the word Irie, which in Jamaican patois loosely means everything is okay. Music for a day when everything is okay by Kenji Bunch on the next Performance Today from APM. Weekday mornings at 9 on KUNM. 
Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Kaveh Movahead. We're talking to Alex Curtis from the Secretary of State's office. Have you had trouble figuring out how to vote on an issue, which candidate to pick for office, or whether a judge should stay on the bench? Call 505-277-5866 or tweet to us with the hashtag Let's Talk NM to tell us about it. Uh, Alex, I'd like to talk about election security. There was a national report about a month ago warning of rogue poll workers who may try to interfere with elections for the sake of casting doubt on the outcomes. By the way, we have a link to that on our website, KUNM.org, if you want to read that report. How can the state protect against bad actors who are in official roles? Certainly, that's another great question and something people probably have uh, seen in the news and and, and may have concerns about. Um, So... The, you know, the short answer is there is, um, you know, the, the the laws and policies in place in New Mexico, uh, you know, w- will not tolerate uh, any di- kind of disruption or, or, or anyone impeding the voting process uh, during the election. And so, you know, the, though there have been... Um, fears of, of, of this, basically of, you know, poll workers maybe who, who come at it with a partisan agenda or something like that, and that they might um, potentially be, uh, you know, trying to disrupt the process. Um, I will first say, you know, we don't anticipate uh, that that happening in any in any large scale uh, way. Uh, county clerks, poll workers, poll officials, uh, our office, of course, um, are all in communication and are, uh, you know, are um, uh, are preparing for these uh, scenarios. Um, and basically, uh, the, the the presiding judges, basically the people who are uh, in charge at each polling uh, place, in conjunction with the county clerk, um, you know, are going to be, uh, you know, on watch for for this sort of activity. But but we. Uh, are very confident in the training procedures and processes that county clerks engage in with their poll workers um, and uh, and are confident. And this is something I've said uh, a, a lot before, you know, that even people who might have um, gotten into, you know, uh, wanting to be a poll worker with with maybe some skepticism um, or some partisanship in mind, uh, one of the best things to educate people about how these processes really work and the security measures that are actually in place is to become a poll worker. And so I think between the, 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 the laws and the, the training procedures that have been in place to, you know, to mitigate any disruptions from, from poll workers and that kind of thing, but also just the, the education and the, the experience that people get when they become poll workers, I think all of this combines to, um, and I would just say, and because New Mexicans are great and that I think they're not going to be, uh, you know, disrupting the, the voting process. I think we can be confident that um, that, that we're not going to see disruptions at the polls, certainly from from poll workers. Uh, and if anything like that does happen, uh, you know, it, it will be dealt with swiftly and, and it, it will not be disrupting uh, the voting process in general. Okay, so even though it may be a minority, there is still some skepticism um, of the election system out among the public. The Secretary of State's office created a website earlier this year called Rumor versus Reality. How are you using that to address some of these concerns about election integrity? Certainly. So, yes, our uh, Rumor versus Reality site is kind of a fact-checking page to, uh, to kind of debunk the most kind of pernicious 
threads of misinformation about our voting and elections. It's, it's only kind of one prong of our strategy of, uh, you know, of election protection and voter education around these issues. But, but our, uh, the Rumor versus Reality uh, website is, is a main uh, bit of that. And basically what, what uh, we've tried to do with, with that uh, resource for voters is, um, you know, uh, be aware of the kind of the most uh, prevalent forms of misinformation out there and, and address them uh, you know, with the facts. So when you go on there, you know, if, if people have questions about our voting machines being certified or, uh, you know, our, our, uh, you know, non-citizens being allowed to vote or are people, you know, stuffing ballots into drop boxes illegally and is absentee voting safe and all of these kinds of things that a lot of, I think, bad actors have, um, uh, spread a lot of lies and misinformation about, uh, go to our Rumor versus Reality website. You can find that at rumor.nmvote.org. And, uh, and, and we address those, you know, with, uh, with, with a factual basis uh, so people can really be kind of prepared with correct information. And I would also, you know, and, and as part of that, implore people to, if they hear or see, you know, online or hear with their friends or colleagues, uh, misinformation about our elections that, that they themselves, you know, use that website to, to clear up that, uh, those, uh, those misunderstandings that, that a lot of people have because the, the way that misinformation has spread over the last few years, it's become quite a problem and something election administrators are dealing with uh, daily. All right. Thank you, Alex. Uh, we want to hear from listeners, too. Do you, have, do you think voting should be easier or would more security like ID checks make results feel more legitimate? Tell us by calling 505-277-5866 or email us at letstalk at KUNM.org. You can also tweet to us. We use the hashtag Let's Talk NM for the show. Uh, I'd like to add another voice to the conversation now that we're talking now that we're talking about voter and election protections. On the phone from southern New Mexico, we have Mario Jimenez III. He's the executive director of Common Cause New Mexico, a group that supports an open democracy. But he's also spent more than a decade in government with the Doña Ana County Clerk and with the County Clerk's Affiliate. And that's the statewide group representing all the county clerks. Thanks for coming on the show, Mario. Yeah, thank you for having us all this morning and really appreciate you discussing these very important topics. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it. It's a great conversation. Common Cause has an election protection campaign in place. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Common Cause, being a nonpartisan grassroots organization, uh, has been running an election protection program in, in concert with many of our partners across the country uh, since 2020 now. And here in New Mexico, we, we have really increased our presence in election protection. And, and what that is and what we do is, is simply to try to help provide our voters with the information needed to cast their ballot and or to register to vote. Um, as Mr. Curtis uh, mentioned earlier, you know, there's a lot of great resources on our Secretary of State's website. So through our election protection uh, program, we also encourage all of our all of our voters and New Mexicans who who may want to register to vote um, to utilize those resources, reach out to our county clerks, reach out to our secretary of state's office and find that accurate information 
you know, again, it's already been mentioned, there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation being spread, some intentionally, some unintentionally. And it is our goal to make sure that all voters across the state of New Mexico and all New Mexicans who wish to register and or vote on Election Day not only have access to the ballot box and successfully cast a ballot, but are, are, are able to do so without any kind of fear of intimidation or, or prosecution or fear of voting whatsoever. So our goal is to make sure that all voters in New Mexico who have a right to vote, in fact, are casting that ballot and have the information needed uh, without any fear. So you're out there to make voters feel supported in case of intimidation or some other obstacle to voting. What about threats to the system itself? Yes, uh, thank you for that question. So within that, so with threats to the system, uh, we actually have, operate in 866 hotline number, uh, which is in multiple languages. Uh, that is 866-OUR-VOTE. So any voter throughout the election can call 866-OUR-VOTE and report any kind of issues that they may be experiencing on Election Day or leading up to the election, uh, whether it be uh, very basic questions uh, such as, you know, where do I return my absentee ballot, or something more serious such as what we've seen in Arizona very recently of individuals outside a polling location with firearms. Um, so if there's any kind of intimidating tactics such as that, uh, we ask voters that please report those to our 866 hotline number uh, where we will log those complaints and report those to the appropriate election authorities, whether that be our Secretary of State's office or directly reach out to one of our county clerks or 33 county clerks across the state to make sure that they're able to address whatever situation is, is taking place on the ground or simply assist a voter who's attempting to cast their ballot. Uh, again, it is our goal to make sure that all voters have all the information needed and, and they are prepared and armed to, in order to not only protect themselves, but also to safely cast that ballot. I wonder if Common Cause has thought about how to respond if there's a deluge of poll worker or poll watcher complaints. You have your own poll watchers in place, right? Uh, yes, sir. Through our election protection program, we will be staging uh, volunteers throughout the state uh, at polling locations, some on the interior, some on the exterior, uh, monitoring, simply observing the election um, as it is taking place and, and noting anything uh, irregular that may, that may take place. Um, as you were discussing earlier, you know, there is a concern, uh, but it we are hoping is not going to be a, a widespread issue of Individuals attempting to operate as, as poll workers as well as challengers, um, you know, as Mr. Curtis alluded to, these individuals have already undergone a, a wealth of training uh, uh, through our county clerk's offices and, and, and provided guidance from our secretary of state's office. Um, and, and really the, the best thing, as, as Mr. Curtis mentioned, to help educate individuals is really to be a poll worker because they actually get to have everything debunked right in front of them of seeing exactly how the voting machine works, exactly how the voting process takes place, instead of, you know, hearing a lot of the lies and misconceptions of how voting takes place. But in the event we do have any bad actors internally, um, our watchers, uh, our, our, our members who are out on volunteers that are on the ground um, have been instructed to report any of those issues that, that may be observed. And, and we would be working closely along with our county clerks and our secretary of state's office uh, to, you know, review and look into any complaints and, and, you know, determine there's any legitimacy behind them 
and you know, and, and very happy to hear that the Secretary of State's office and county clerks um, are going to be enforcing policies and, and holding our poll workers to the oath of office that each and every single one of them uh, takes prior to assuming the position of, of a poll worker. Uh, that does give us some, some great reassurance that, uh, you know, county clerks and our Secretary of State across the state um, are going to do their best to make sure that internally within the polling location there is order and our voters are, are free to vote without intimidation or, or fear of dealing with any unruly poll workers even. So okay, we're Mario. very happy to hear that that, well, that is under, underway. Let's yes, go sir. back to the Secretary of State's office on that. Alex Curtis, uh, should we see a lot of contested results or complaints of voting irregularities? Is there a plan in place to bring the election to finality, or is it possible this might be another kind of protracted long uh, wait before we have you know results? Well, yeah, that's a great question. So um, the first thing to say about uh, that is that it's totally normal uh, and for vote counting to take place after Election Day. That has always happened and will always continue to happen. Uh, and so this is a main bit of misinformation uh, that, that, that does uh, circulate out there, that, that the idea being that somehow if we don't know the result of every single election um, by, you know, 11 p.m. on, on Election Day, that somehow, uh, you know, cheating is going on, which is basically the the uh, the, the, the theory, the misinformation uh, that is, of course, not correct at all. <laughs> uh, counting will take place uh, after election day and always has been and, and, and there will always be counting that takes place. Uh, I, that being said, uh, we should know the results of pretty much every, uh, you know, major contest, uh, either by the end of election night or early the next day. Uh, the, the counting, of course, takes a lot of time. Uh, there's a lot of people who are uh, voting and there's there's a lot of people who are counting the votes as well and there are procedures in place to you know to start processing some of the absentee ballots and that kind of thing so we so we get the results as uh, as soon as possible but uh, but it is important to know that, uh, that 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 vote counting always takes place um, on election day through election day and and afterwards and when I say that you know uh, we're talking about you know there's provisional ballots there are going to be uh, potentially uh, recounts and, and, and rechecks that, that, that go on um, uh, after Election Day. And this is a totally normal process uh, because we do expect to probably see some very tight races. Um, and so in, in those uh, uh, scenarios, you know, there's a whole recount procedure that goes on. Uh, and, and all of this has been is kind of governed by by laws that the legislature has passed and that our county clerks and other election administrators uh, follow strictly. And so, uh, yeah, so that just uh, that's an important uh, point to uh, to say. And though we don't expect um, any major delays uh, in, in the vote counting in New Mexico, um, uh, you know, even if there are delays, people should should trust the process and know that the county clerks and the poll officials in, in every county, uh, you know, are doing the best that they can and are and are committed to getting accurate results. And like we always say, as election administrators, we and I think that everyone would agree with it's, it's better to have accurate results than quick results. 
Uh, and so, you know, that, that's something that we want to definitely uh, emphasize. Okay, thank you, uh, Alex. Uh, we have a caller. Glenn from Albuquerque's on the line. Glenn, uh, go ahead. Um, yeah, uh, what I mainly have an issue with with voting is the wording in the in the on the ballot. Like um, it's legalese, which I don't understand. Um, mainly, like amendments, like charter amendment. What was that about? And uh, Amendment two, I think they should, maybe they have to do it that way, but could they also put it in English too so that regular people who aren't in the legal profession know what they're talking about and what the clear issue is? Thank you. And the judges too, I have trouble with that because I don't know them at all. Thank you for calling. I think that's really important. I'm going to go ahead and self-indulge and point you to the KUNM website up at the top right corner. We have a link for a story called What's on Your Ballot in 2022, where KUNM reporters and Source New Mexico reporters have kind of gotten together to kind of try to summarize all of the races and the amendments and put them in uh, regular English that you might understand. But I also think I want to kind of pitch this idea to Mario Jimenez from Common Cause. Is there a reason that the ballots aren't written a little more plainly so people can understand them more easily? Yeah, um, there actually is. In fact, uh, within our law, uh, there is a requirement that that the ballots be printed with specific language uh, regarding the the issue that is that is on the ballot. Um, So what I would encourage uh, our caller and all callers is, They'd like to see a change in, in that. Uh, I would encourage that they reach out to their representatives and their senators and, and let them know that's a change that they'd like to see happen and see if we can have those, those particular amendments and changes to the Constitution uh, written in plain English uh, so it can be better understood by the voters. Okay, and I'll point out that almost uh, all of the representatives have contact information online. It's pretty easy to find with a Google search. And I've had great luck. You know, I, I know I work in the media, but I've had real good luck just sending an email or making a call and usually getting a response. And I, I think probably most of you could, too. Uh I'm now going to introduce our third guest this hour. We have Danielle Gonzalez. She's the executive director of New Mexico First, a nonprofit aimed at finding consensus on divisive issues, conducting research, and working on policy issues. Danielle, while New Mexico First has several initiatives, I asked you to join us today specifically to talk about the New Mexico Democracy Project. I think the goal is to bring back trust in the integrity of elections. Is that right? Can I tell us about it? That is absolutely right. Um, and it's it's a really fun project. Um, and I wanted to call out that we've been spending a lot of time this morning talking about the process and about voters. And the other key piece of this whole picture is the candidates. Um, so we know from polling that people, voters, expect candidates to play by the rules, expect candidates to be honest, and that voters actually judge candidates by their personal characteristics as well as their policy opinions. And so a significant part of this project is really drawing attention to candidate conduct. Um, And we have some principles um, for candidate conduct, and they're really excited that we've had candidates all across New Mexico sign on to those principles. The other key components of this project are an election integrity piece, which we're really excited that Judy and the League of William vote, uh, Women Voters are a project in that as, as a partner in that as well. 
Okay, thank you. I wish we could ask you more right this second, but we have to pause for just a moment. You're listening to Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Cave Movahead. Stay right there. We'll be back in just a minute. Oklahoma is at the center of several significant conflicts between tribes and the state. Those struggles are propelling tribes to back the election opponent of the current governor. Tribes are also working in the courts and the legislature to reverse actions they say are detrimental to sovereignty. We'll take a special look into Oklahoma's relationship with tribes on the next Native America Calling. Weekday mornings at 11 on KUNM. There's still time to get a tax donation for 2022 by donating your unwanted car or truck to KUNM because you get to deduct in the year you sign the title over. But it's best to call today so you'll know the amount of the sale when you file your taxes. Tow trucks are ready to be dispatched to tow away your unwanted vehicles, running or not. Your vehicle donation also gets you a KUNM membership. Call 888-KUNM-CAR. That's 888-586-6227. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. We're taking your calls on trends among New Mexico voters. Do you think New Mexico feels like it's turning more red or more blue? Why? Call 505-277-5866 to share your ideas. Right now, we have Danielle Gonzalez from New Mexico first on the line. I brought you into the conversation at this point because as we discuss contested results and rogue poll workers who might intentionally disrupt the process, uh, we're really talking about trust. Do you see the candidates themselves as the keeper of the public trust? They are are certainly a critical component of that. Again, as I said, voters really do want their candidates to be honest and voters really do pay attention to what the candidates are saying. And so a a key component of making sure that we are rebuilding trust in our electoral process and in our democracy is ensuring that our candidates act in principled ways, that they are honest that they denounce violence, that they avoid knowingly propagating falsehoods, and that they're willing to accept the results of the election. It's not to say that candidates aren't allowed to make um, make requests for recounts or, or follow all of the legitimate um, processes that are in place, but there, there does have to be a point where candidates are saying, okay, I trust these results, and that, may, that sends a really significant signal to voters to trust them as well. Okay, so you asked all the candidates to kind of pledge to these five principles. I see that not too many candidates signed on. Why is that? Did you try to engage the parties? Did you go directly to candidates? What happened? Yeah, um, we did go directly to candidates. And, you know, there are, I think, like 800 candidates uh, running. And so we did approach all of the candidates. This includes state legislative races, the whole House here in New Mexico, congressional seats, judge seats, county commissions, all of those positions. Um, So we're excited that we do have nearly 100 people who have signed on. It is a pretty good mix of both Republican and Democrat. And we even have a race where both of the leading Republican and Democratic candidates have signed on. That's the land commissioner. Um, And it's also pretty exciting that those two candidates um, have put together a PSA where they stand side by side and say together that they commit to all of these principles as well. Okay, so maybe that's a good first step. Um, I wonder what were the candidates asked to do besides make the pledge? Was that all? And for those who didn't sign on, did any of them tell you why? Yeah, so they were asked to sign on to the principles um, and then asked if they would want to participate in other ways of promoting the principles as well. So that's where I talk about the PSA that we have from the land commissioner candidates is really exciting. 
Um, for the candidates who didn't sign on, no, there was not really um, an explanation given for it from them. Um, I think for the most part, it's just the timing, um, how how busy candidates are. Um, but we did collect quotes from folks who did agree to sign on, which is pretty exciting as well. So we do have a website um, at NewMexicoFirst.org, which lists all of the candidates that have signed on. Um, and we've got some really great quotes from both current candidates as well as former elected officials sort of speaking to the importance of this type of initiative, the importance of trust in elections and um, why it matters so much for the protection of our democracy. Danielle, New Mexico First also worked on redistricting along with the League of Women Voters and Common Cause. How does the redistricting process potentially affect the trust in the entire political system? Yeah, that's a good question, too, Um, in part because this redistricting process that we just went through here in New Mexico was different than years past, and it really provided an opportunity for much more citizen engagement in years past. And so we at New Mexico First think that's tremendous. I think much of democracy is really based on this transparency, based on civic and citizen engagement. And the more of that that we have in all of our political and government processes, the better it is for the citizens of New Mexico. So this last redistricting process did include a Citizens Redistricting Committee, or a CRC, which provided opportunities for regular citizens to review maps, to create maps. There was really cool software that anyone could, you know, do um, and create and draw their own maps. There were lots of opportunities for public comment to the commission, uh, to contact officials, to attend and view meetings. And so it really did increase, again, the transparency and the engagement of the process, which is new for New Mexico. Um, And so we think that's pretty exciting. Obviously, there's always improvements to be made. Um, But I think having transparency in processes is really important. Mario uh, Jimenez from from Common Cause, I'd like to ask you the same question uh, about the redistricting process uh, potentially affecting the trust in the political system. Do you agree that the system was so open to participation that it probably built trust? Because I I, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Danielle, but I think that's what I heard. Yes, I would. Uh, it did, in fact, increase the trust of the public. And in fact, that is something that we saw throughout the entire process of redistricting and attending and, and going back and even rewatching uh, some of the meetings from the redistricting committee. Uh, the Citizens Redistricting Committee was great about transparency. They put everything up on their websites. Uh, the minutes, the videos of every single meeting, every single conversation. Um, and, and so that really helped instill trust into the public, which they never had before. And I think one of the, one of the biggest historic wins that we got out of uh, this last redistricting was that our Native American communities were actually heard as well. Uh, you know, they came together, uh, the public came together in presenting a map to, uh, to the legislature uh, that our Native American communities were looking for and, and felt better represented them. And so overall, I think this last Citizens Redistricting Committee was a big win. Uh, there are still definitely some improvements that are needed. Uh, for example, the makeup of the Citizens Redistricting Committee, the vast majority, well, all of them, were for the most part out of the Albuquerque metro area. And if we can do better at making sure that that Citizens Redistricting Committee is a better makeup and representation of New Mexicans themselves from all corners of the state and all ethnicities within our state as well and cultures, um, as well as making sure that they're not an advisory committee that can simply be overridden uh, where the people's voice is then silenced. Um, so there was some great strides made with the Citizens Redistricting Committee, but there's definitely still some room for improvement. Okay, great. Um, 
I want to pitch one more question to our listeners. Would you be more inclined to vote for a candidate that vowed to be honest, fair, and respect the outcomes of the elections? What What about if they're from the other party? Share by calling 505-277-5866, emailing letstalk at KUNM.org, or tweeting to us with the hashtag letstalknm. We have one more guest to bring into the conversation today. Lauren Collingwood is an associate professor in political science at UNM. He's studying voters along the southern border. Thanks for coming on the show this morning, Lauren. Pleased to be here. Uh, Lauren, New Mexico's population has the largest percentage of Latinos in the U.S. Southern New Mexico tends to be more conservative than the rest of the state, and it has a strong Latino electorate. We heard recently about Latino voters in southern Texas beginning to lean more toward the right. Is that happening in southern New Mexico, too? I haven't seen evidence of that in southern New Mexico. Uh, The challenge is more mobilizing Latino or Hispanic turnout. So you have many counties that are uh, generally strong Republican. So some people might make the ecological fallacy that Latinos in the South are more Republican than other parts of the state. Uh, But really what I tend to observe um, is more just a lower turnout rate among Latino voters in some areas of the southern part of the state relative to, say, areas around Albuquerque, uh, Santa Fe County, uh, and places like that. Okay, what about conservatives rallying around, you know, single issues? I'm thinking specifically about abortion now, since it's become a central rallying cry for the Democrats after, you know, Roe versus Wade was overturned recently. Could that make mostly Catholic Latinos more likely to start voting Republican? Certainly, it's a possibility. One thing to keep in mind is when you actually look at the data. Um, the, the idea that Latinos are Catholic is, while they're maybe disproportionately Catholic, there's a Latinos that are not Catholic that are either unaffiliated or uh, another another Christian um, religion. And so, uh, but among Latinos who are Catholic, uh, still more of them support uh, do not support a full ban on abortion than do um, quite quite evidently in the data. But among Latinos who do support a full ban on abortion. They're much more approving of Trump and Republican. Okay. And I'm asking these questions kind of in light of the redistricting conversation we've been having the last few minutes. Uh, As we know, Congressional District 2 uh, in southern New Mexico was kind of redrawn to now include parts of the South Valley of Albuquerque. It kind of uh, changed the electorate a little bit. And I think, you know... I guess I want to ask Danielle Gonzalez about from New Mexico first about this. Is this mm, okay? Is this gerrymandering? Is that fair? So that's an interesting question, and I, I guess I would point um, to a recent report that came out from UNM that actually studied the evaluation, uh, but studied the redistricting process. Um, so it's, it's a really great report. It's on the New Mexico First website. Um, and they looked at a variety of factors, but they did find that the, they did conclude that the redistricting process here in New Mexico has made seats both less competitive and much more likely to pair incumbents. So I don't know that we would necessarily call it gerrymandering. I think the word that has been proposed is buddymandering, this concept that um, when elected officials are given the authority and the power to redraw their own lines, that they protect themselves. And so going back to the comment that Mario Jimenez made, it is really important to think about these citizen redistricting councils, committees, and their ability to actually have teeth or authority. Here in New Mexico, our, our commission was advisory. And so they did this work. They made the maps, made the recommendations, and then the decision still went back to 
the legislature. Um, so that's an important piece of what needs to be improved going forward is just really thinking about how we make sure that these citizens committees actually have some authority. All right. Thank you. And for listeners who might want to see that report, go to nmfirst.org and under the initiatives drop down, you can find New Mexico Redistricting Task Force and find a link there. Uh, Mario Jimenez, you've been working with voters in Doñana County for a long time. Have you seen a change in voting habits in the region? What do we need to understand about Latino voters there? Um, well, if we're talking voting habits, the biggest change that we've seen as far as habits goes is going to be the participation of absentee. Uh, since 2020 and, uh, you know, the arrival of COVID, uh, that is something we've seen across the state and, and certainly in, in southern New Mexico. But as far as leaning right, leaning left, that is not really something that, that, that we've observed or, or even taking note of. Uh, but simply our, us being a grassroots nonpartisan uh, organization, our goal is to drive voters to the polls, encourage them to vote and participate. So through the participation process, again, we've seen a, a big rise in absentee. Um, and, and we hope to continue that rise in absentee. And in fact, it, it is our hope that moving forward, uh, that our legislature would move forward with a a permanent absentee list to help a lot of these voters that are in rural New Mexico. Um, that way they don't have to submit a new absentee application each and every single election. In some cases, they have to commute many miles uh, because they do not have access to broadband. They, don't, they can't, don't have the ability to get online and request an absentee ballot to our Secretary of State's website. Um, so, again, with COVID, with, with, with the health restrictions that we are seeing, with the flyers that we have recently seen in New Mexico, um, all of these individuals who have been displaced, individuals who have been sick or who have fear of going to the polling location for harassment and or uh, fear of their health uh, due to COVID. Um, you know, absentee has played a big role in assisting voters to make sure that their voices are heard. And it's something we hope that, that continues. OK, thank you. I want to go back to uh, Lauren Collingwood now. Lauren, there are a lot of ways to think about voters. And, you know, I don't want to talk about Latinos as a monolith. Obviously, no one group is all the same. Maybe another way to add some nuance is by gender. Do we see differences in the way borderland voters vote based on gender or maybe other factors? Well, on the gender component, I mean, I, I, I would kind of shift down to some of my research in South Texas. So in South Texas, you have a situation in some of the counties down there, like Star County, it's 95% Hispanic County, and it shifted in the Trump direction about 56% uh, from 16 to 20. Why is that? A lot of the work that I'm doing right now is identifying people who, Latino individuals who work in the immigration control industry in oil and gas, felt their jobs were threatened. Uh, something around 40 to 50% of people who work for ICE and in the immigration control are Hispanic or Latino, and those people are probably disproportionately male. We do know that um, uh, men are disproportionately a little bit more Republican than women, and so the general trend would play out among the Hispanic population uh, as well. Okay, and we kind of uh, don't have that big uh, border security industry in New Mexico, though, right? So that's going to be a little bit different. That, that's correct, but there will be some issues around jobs or oil and stuff like that in the southern part of the state where you might see some more conservatism among men there. Um, but in general, gender among Hispanics versus Anglos, for example, is going to kind of play out the same way. What you have with the Latino population as a general rule, and specifically in New Mexico when I've looked at the data, is a kind of a two-to-one Democratic advantage overall, um, and that will change and vary from year to year. And the, 
the people who make up the Republican segment of the Latino population are going to be a bit more male than female. Okay. I think I'm going to kind of steer the conversation a little differently for our last couple minutes and ask just for some final thoughts. Lauren, what is it you're kind of watching for in this election? It really comes down to turnout right now and and variation um, uh, variation who's able to get their votes in early is there changing between the two the, the, the two uh, voting groups uh, Democrats Republicans and then also um, is the Hispanic population turning out at a roughly roughly even rate relative to the Anglo or other groups in the state uh, those are two very interesting conversations and and, and depending on you know where we see that going. Um, but I do think in general, New Mexico, the fundamentals are leaning generally in the Democratic Party. Uh, and so you'll probably see still here, even though the overall vibe in the in nationally is maybe leaning Republican, I think here it's more likely than not, at least in my view, that the Democrats will tend to pull things out, although New Mexico, too, is a total toss-up. Okay. And... Uh... Daniel Gonzalez from New Mexico first. Are there particular issues or races that you have an eye on uh, this year? Yeah, I wouldn't speak to races specifically, but I, I do want to touch on sort of where I started on this issue of misinformation eroding public trust. And I think it's really important that we keep our eyes on that. We know there is so much more misinformation now fed by social media, fed by cable news, fed by the bubbles that we all got into as the result of the pandemic and that largely a lot of us are still in. And so as we think about this increased polarization and how that contributes to disenchantment, not just with uh, electoral processes, but government institutions overall. So that's something that I think we're really mindful of, have our eyes on, and just really thinking about how we collectively just rebuild trust, again, not just in elections, but in government institutions. That includes public education, that includes healthcare and hospital police. Um, so it's a huge issue to keep our eyes on. Okay, I hear the music has come up. Came, oh boy. The music has come up behind me, so that's the end of the show. I'm sorry I couldn't get to Alex and Mario for final thoughts. Uh, but I do want to thank you all for joining the show. Thanks for the callers and the tweeters and the emailers. Thank you, Judy Williams, Alex Curtis, Mario Jimenez, Lauren Collingwood, and Daniel Gonzalez for being on our panel today. KUNM will keep adding to coverage of the election next week and into the future. Please keep sharing your thoughts with us on Twitter, hashtag Let's Talk NM. On Facebook, search for KUNM Radio or email us, Let's Talk at KUNM.org. If you missed part of the show, we'll have audio up on our website soon. You can also subscribe to the Let's Talk New Mexico podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Our engineers, Marino Spencer, Jeanette DiDios handled the phones today, Taylor Velasquez live tweeted for us, and Mangan Kamrick produced the show. Big thanks to the Thornburg Foundation for its ongoing support of the Your New Mexico Government Project, shining the light on good and open governance. I'm Kaveh Movahead. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM.